What's up, homies, and welcome to another episode of Humanizing Horror. I am your host, D.L. Holmes, and you almost got a lot to my last episode. Didn't get a lot of it, but that's okay. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, take the topic in a different direction. I know, like, this is called Humanizing Horror, as I keep mentioning. So this is me basically shedding light on things and giving you a different perspective on my most beloved genre and more than likely your most beloved genre too if you're listening in and we're gonna talk about um we're gonna talk about representation in the horror genre this week so hold tight and uh, we're gonna get right to it all right everybody so representation in the horror genre and by the way happy pride month everybody out there listening all the uh you know People in the alphabet community, this is your uh, here's your month to shine. It's for some and for different reasons a sad month and remembrance. But I always thought that this is a time of community and coming together. And with that, if you're listening, you're more than likely consider yourself to be a member of the horror community. Now, I did say that this episode was going to be about representation in the horror drama, and that's one hundred percent true. But I believe before we really tackle that subject and what that is, we have to first look at what representation means and what representation is. So, when you think about representation, it is essentially described as the description or portrayal of someone or something in a particular way or as being of a certain nature. And typically when people themselves talk about representation what they're saying uh it's kind of cut and dry point blank is i want to see me in my media or i want to be able to project myself onto my media now this stems from a lot of discussions i've had this week uh alone i mean really in life but this week this has come up a lot Probably because, you know, it's the start of Pride Month. And just because of a few things that have just come up with some of our most beloved series, not even in the horror genre, in the past week. And I said I was going to talk about representation, but I want to really ice home that what I'm getting to and what I'm going to say is about how representation can be negative. Now, before you shut this off, let me get there. Representation to me, in horror, with the many hats that I wear. Oh, I got so many hats in my head. I belong to so many different communities. Uh, I identify as many different things. And I believe if you've read any of my work, if you've seen me out in public anywhere, if you know me personally, um, you probably have at least a piece of the pie in mind, and you can probably feel like you can piece all of it together. But... In relation to this, I want to go on and tell you about the importance of representation in media, or basically why I have loved this genre so much. I've touched on it very briefly, but what I learned very young, and this is the story of a lot of people celebrating this month, and just a lot of people in the world in general, what I yearned very young 
and still carry with me today in my heart and in my head as a lesson is how to be quiet. I learned at a very young age how to be quiet, and I was not always good at it. Though this day, I'm still not very good at it. I've joked with some people uh, throughout my life when I've said something that has made them uncomfortable, that if that made you uncomfortable, you should hear the unedited version of what I was going to say. And, you know, it comes off as being badass or, you know, something. But no, it's true. When I was younger, I just liked horror movies. I watched them over the weekends, um, during the week sometimes, just in my life. So, you know, when you're in second or third grade and you come out of school and everybody's talking about, did you see the episode of The Simpsons? Yeah, I watched The Simpsons, but that's because they came on before The X-Files, which I watched. Nobody was talking about The X-Files. When I say I learned how to be quiet, I learned how to be quiet because of the couple of times I at six and seven years old tried to talk about the X-Files and where that led me and what happened to me. Um, and that's not to say like that, you know, anything super awful happened to me, not anything I didn't happen to every other suburban kid. But what I mean by that is just the awkward feeling I was left with, that, that weird uh, feeling of desolation. Like, that sounds dramatic, but, you know, just that, like, what is wrong with you? What are you talking about? Where are you from? That, like, feeling like I'm an alien uh, just for bringing up something uh, different, that variant. And, you know, I was at that crossroads when I was young because that's, that's what, you know, growing up is of do I go and only watch and only engage and only, like, talk about the stuff that everybody else is talking about is let this go or do I like continue to enjoy this and just maybe you know muffle it a bit and you know I grew more into myself in my teens but yeah when I was really young I was I was basically like a closeted horror fan I had like one or two friends that I would like goon horror movies with and they acted like we were some weird club that would uh meet and do this thing and just kind of um not talk about it afterwards like it was some weird cult or some crime that was being committed, but that was really it. We would just go to family video and rent a bunch of movies, spend the night over the weekend and watch like six or seven of them, you know, all the Children of Corns, all the Gollums, all the Night of the Demons, just everything, and, um, and that was it. They became inside jokes, but like we wouldn't talk about them in public, but I thought they were hilarious, and um, that was just one of those weird things. And what I mean by that is that um, I... That was, I think, the start of realizing the need to be quiet, was those things being hilarious, finding certain things funny. Um, that was one of the first little things that I picked up on about myself, is that I, I found things funny that it seemed like I shouldn't laugh at. And the thing with that is, like, I knew there was nothing wrong with me. Like, there is, there is no part of me that wanted to, like, say hurt other people or that delighted in anyone's suffering or anything it's just there's just certain things I found funny is the way certain phrases were said or the way certain scenes played out the end of night of the demons when the guy goes you ain't getting me and jumps out the window was just hilarious to me um the way certain things ended certain music choices I found were funny but you know they weren't things that like 
your your parents come in like why are you laughing in the middle of the night you can say oh well like this guy you know delivered this one-liner and jason decapitated him without you know them being like do you need to talk to somebody are you being bullied and you know it's the same thing at school and so i just i just learned to be quiet i learned to keep that to myself i guess i became a a closeted horror goo and i think even in my youth my parents or these people around me didn't really know how much I liked the genre and how into it I was like unless they just looked at you know wasn't able to at the time Netflix wasn't around to show you like what your previously watched list was but if I had access to a television and something creepy was on I was watching it it didn't matter if it was a movie I was watching The Outer Limits I was watching The Twilight Zone like that was it there was just something about the genre that just kind of hit those things for me and that's not to say I wasn't into other things I still you know played video games like a normal kid I still you know I liked cartoons but there's just things things that I found humorous or adventurous like you know people may have wanted to be Sonic you know I wanted to be uh the elder gecko brother from from dust till dawn I just thought George Clooney was a badass in that movie and I wanted to deliver one-liners with a six-shooter and like you know drink tequila and you know, be, be sassy, I guess, and that, that brings me to a, to a story, uh, I don't think I've, I don't think I've really shared a story with anybody, so, you know, sorry mom if you're listening to this, because, you know, so, like, when I was growing up, uh, one of my all-time friends, I, I hate to say when I was growing up, like, I don't still fucking love this guy and this character, you know, the the cool of this character, the quiet mystery of this character has been the influence for a lot of characters that I have written and characters that have yet to be seen by the public, but trust me, they're coming. And that's Snake Plissken from Escape from New York and Escape from L.A. And I just thought Escape from New York was just the coolest fucking movie. I forgot why I rented it. I just know that uh, I rented it in 1999 and the first Escape from New York, I think, takes place in 1999. Like it's 1999, you know. New York is gonna break away and become like a prison island and shit and it was a John Carpenter movie and it was cool and you know most people when you think John Carpenter your your first thought is typically you know the thing or Halloween um and you would be right to think so because it's great fucking movies you know John Carpenter's vampires great fucking movie um I think John Carpenter's cool as shit I think that the he has one of my favorite quotes he says you know if I were to go right now, and I'm known as that guy that made those weird movies, um, you know, I'm fine with that, and I love that, like, I love that he just embraced his weird, he embraced his strange, he lived his life, he's made his movies, you know, they went where they went, they have cult followings, but he kind of, you know, he did what he wanted to do with that and that was kind of inspiring to me in a way of like I can live how I want to live I can be weird but back to this I thought Snake Plissken was awesome and you know him touching down in New York you know and he's gotta go find the president because you know he's that one prisoner that can do it and they send him in he um he has a scene where this guy throws his ninja star at him. I don't know why but I was like fixated on that and so my dad I'm sure had this like Italian switchblade right and I just thought that that was also the coolest thing. So I watched this game from New York. I think I watched this Italian Switchblade. So, you know, if I was in the country, you know, I probably would have got some pizza boxes and put them on trees and everything. But instead, we have this couch. And in my little child mind, I'm like, no one's going to look behind the couch. So I start 
walk around my house with this like little fake plastic blue machine gun that I had. And I would, I would, I would hum the little do 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 do, you know, in my head when I was in Escape from New York. And then I would just randomly throw a switchblade and couch, and it would stick. And I pretend the guy goes ah, and I go Ninja Star. And uh, I did this for like two days. <laughs> it was two days that like you know I, my parents were like maybe you're old enough not to have a babysitter, and you know, I was like at the house, and then. One day, like, my dad comes home, my mom comes home, they're freaking out, the couches are cut up, they're like, what happened? And then, you know, suddenly this turns into a thing. Like, this suddenly is a thing now. Like, there's, like, what's wrong? Are you being bullied? You know, it looks like you got a kitchen knife and you did this, yada, yada. And I, I just wrote, I didn't know what to say. I did not know how to say that I just watched, like, one of the most awesome movies ever. You know, I... I, I watched it like maybe like 12 times I could literally recite dialogue and now um I had found a way to play you know the opening theme on my little keyboard and I thought it was cool and I was just walking around in this little black sleeveless shirt that they got me because you know it's the 90s and you know you dressed you know basketball clothes for gym and everything and pretended like I was Snake Plissken and I was throwing a ninja star that, that was that was ridiculous, right? Like, that, what parents going to be like, you know, you're grounded. I feel like I'm grounded anyway. Somehow this turned into a whole thing. Like, my grandmother came over and they were talking about, you know, if, you know, maybe I was, like, lashing out at bullies or something. I'm like, no. I didn't, no. It wasn't it at all. I just, I just thought it was fucking cool. And it was weird. But that was, for me, as this was happening, it was like, it was like an outer body experience because I was watching how what seemed like to me a kid playing it, it was no different than kids pretending to play football, no different than kids pretending to play basketball or anything, you know. It was couch. Which, yes, in hindsight, couch, bad. That was a really bad call on my part. But, uh, you know, was so drastic. Like, how could it be this really weird thing, right? And so I just became very, very quiet about a lot of my interests. And there's a lot of instances where I wasn't. I was having the same reaction. Like, there's so many spots in my life where I thought I was safe. I will never forget coming back from a deployment. And I first heard about uh, Audition. It was either Audition or the movie Grotesque. Um, both, I believe, are must-watches if you have the stomach for them. These are not horror movies for, like, your atypical horror fan. Um, so I remember I was coming back and everybody was like, Hey, what are you doing? You like good movies? Um, and... I started kind of describing these films and I was just exuberant. I was excited because I just got them in. Like I had ordered them when I was um, overseas and I was like, they were in my room and I'd gone downstairs to meet quote unquote these friends and I was just gushing because everybody's like, oh, I ordered this video and I got this. Um, and basically, you know, we were sitting there and I was just going off. And at some point, I stopped and I looked and I watched these, you know, other young adults looking at me just fucking mortified. Like, you would think I was skinning a small woodland creature at this table and had, like, gore coming out of my mouth. And one of them, close friend, another fellow geek, played Final Fantasy XI, and it's, you know, heyday, looks at me and says, Dude, what the fuck is wrong with you? Why would you bring that shit up while we're eating? Never forget there it was, that feeling of desolation that I felt at 5, 6, 7, 9, 12, 13, 14, 17. Right there again. And I'm an adult, and these are other adults, and I'm like, you know, I'm an adult, so I can like what I like, watch what I want, to be into whatever the fuck I'm into, right? And
and here was like this mob of people that I, you know, was close with, that I, you know, like, you know, bled with, you know, operation. And he was looking at me like I was this weird freak. He was just describing a movie. And I was like, oh, I should have been quiet. Um, so I remember it was a cold, long walk back to my room, even though my room was literally like a minute and a half away. And I got in there, and I felt really weird for a while. I just sat there in silence um, at my little desk for a minute. And then I, um, you know, I took the packaging off of the movie, and I opened up my PlayStation 2, and I, you know, put the English subtitles on and put it in the original language, and I watched it. I watched the movie, like, twice, and I enjoyed it by myself while in my room. And, you know, I reminded myself again that I gotta learn to be quiet. I gotta learn to like these things quietly. I'm so past that. To a point. Because I just like my stuff. But I will also say this. It's not something that I know is for everyone. Like this podcast is not for everyone. This sub is not for everyone. Everything isn't for everybody. That's why there's so many things in the world. Because there is literally something for everybody. This is... Not for everybody. Some people just like horror movies for different reasons. And I just, I love them. It's it's my bag, baby. But I can't tell you how many people do not vibe with that. I have people in my life that are, like, nuts about me. But they can't sit and just watch scary movies all day like I can. Like, I don't know anybody that does that, like, attentively without, like, staring at their phone or, like, having some sort of reaction or wanting to watch something else you know like I could sit down and just watch any paranormal I'm I'm a hey what's on Tubi cool let me watch every psychological thriller they just added on here for June and I would at best maybe have someone with a half of an attention span or a minimal interest I've had fights even with people in my last year and my my moment of heightened growth and everything of like I just really want to watch this movie and somehow it's a thing and it's like you know, if anybody was could attend with any other interest, you know, it would be a thing. And this isn't me saying I hope for interest. It's more so, you know, to round it back. Representation to me, right? I am a few hats. I'm black. I'm goth. I'm pan. I'm, I'm a lot of things. And one of these things in a film does not represent me. It represents a part of me. Um, when I think about representation, I think about the dad from this recent Netflix horror movie I had who had, like, the original Nightmare on Elm Street poster and was up in his room playing, like, an old, like, floppy disk game. I think of the weird goth couple from Final Destination 5 that, like, worked at the hardware store. I think of, you know... Any character that weird kid from the new Nightmare on Elm Street plays in a movie, I think of, um, you know, the guy with the cleft lick from the Heroes show on ABC that was in Pathology that, you know, the entire plot of that movie where these doctors or kids in med school are pretty much playing who's the better killer. Like, I think I always felt represented by total fucking weirdos, um, not because it's cool, not because it's trendy, not because it's goals or aesthetics, but in the craft when 
Nancy and the crew said, we are the weirdos, mister. Those were literally me and my two or three friends getting off the bus after getting like two Chicago style hot dogs from Athens Gyros because that's the money that we save after uh, school because we saved enough money to eat right after school to make that ride to go to family video to get 20 horror movies for the weekend to order an Aurelio's pizza to actually and get some Tyson's wings with our money combined like clockwork every fucking weekend unless we switch it up and got some subway subs which we would get like six um and go into uh, my homie Tanuda's basement and just watch all those movies. That was me. That's how I felt represented. And there is like, you know, one curly haired black girl, but there is, you know, the, I've, I've gone through, you know, the girls in my, my uh, one of our four episodes about, you know, <clears throat> favorite gossip and movies. And that's where I felt that. And the reason why that's so important is because the more I saw it, the less I felt I had to be quiet. Um, because you hear these characters, and yes, it's a horror movie, so yeah, some of them got decapitated or like pushed off a building or like choked out in a vat of acid or something. Some of them were the killer. But what I mean is that seeing them there was just like, oh, they're there, they're older than me. Like I can get to that point and I can be cool and I can have a cool outfit and I can, you know, I can have a room with all this stuff, you know, and I don't have to hide it. And they were fictional characters, but it was it was still good to see. It was nice to see. And because of that, I understand why it's so important for everybody to see themselves in media. So how is that bad, right? Like, what, what the fuck did I mean about my original statement about how representation can be negative or bad, right? I will tell you, audience. So... As you all know, if you've been listening, and if you don't, a movie that is very close to my heart is uh, the original Candyman. What, 1992, 1994, Tony Todd? Anyway. So Tony Todd does this movie, right? Cementing himself as one of the all-fathers of horror. Playing, you know, the ghoul. You know, Daniel Robitaille. And... Afterwards, there's this backlash, right? This massive backlash. And did it come from people that were friends of Freddie and Jason? Was it a bunch of, like, weird, picky white people saying, like, you know, we don't need some color to kill it? No. No. It came from people who share the same skin tone as Tony Todd saying, why would you play someone on screen in a negative way why be the monster why be first of all i could almost do an entire episode on the multi-dimensions and the themes alone presented in the entire series that started with that film let alone that film itself setting and time period alone tony todd is a fucking hero two Tony Todd's response nailed it perfectly. Dude, this was a field that was dominated by Freddy, by Jason, by Michael, and guess what? I'm in there now. I'm one of them. And I look like you. I've just shown that monsters come in different ways. And that not just any monster, but a monster you can sympathize with. 
And nobody understood how powerful that was. I think some people did, but that outcry. When I say that it can be negative, what I mean is, I know not to look for myself everywhere. Because I also know that it's important for everyone to be seen. I just need to know I'm there somewhere. And representation is so important because it's so important to know that you are somewhere that someone who does not know you thinks of you in some way. Even if it's just pieces and parts. Even if it's just some glasses-wearing nerd that happens to like Nightmare on Elm Street. You see that in the movie. Maybe some Asian girl in a, in a Korean horror film. But hey, hey, that's me. But just in another country. But that's me, right? And you, you liking yourself to that. If you know what I'm talking about, the question this week, I'm really going to guess. Um, the nickname that I had growing up, Bat, actually does not come from um, some gothy gothiness or anything for what people would think or an obsession with Bat. The, the nickname Bat that was bestowed that I gave from me actually comes from one of my all-time favorite horror movies, Top 5. Um, top 5. And... I've posted about it several times. I've talked about it several times. Not yet on this podcast. I will do an episode about it. I mean, tell you what, if you can guess what it is, I'll give you a free book. I'll let you, uh, I'll let you guess what movie has, uh, one of my favorite characters. Their name is Bat the Bat. And, uh, you know, if you, if you'll watch the movie, I'll, I'll throw in a bookmark and have a little talk about it. And I'll, I'll mention it in a future episode. But going back that that feeling that sense of like having to be everywhere and having to be a certain way for instance i'm aware that i have an expensive hobby being a horror fan so if somebody were to make a movie about me you know or that has someone like me in it and i say hey i don't like that this person was bad with money change that well that's inauthentic here's the thing about representation is there negativity everywhere? Yes. And we definitely want there to be good, positive representation. But I think more than anything in our own lives, in our media, in ourselves, and in everything that's out there, authenticity needs to matter so much more than any of that other stuff. Authenticity. Because... What I've mentioned thus far, the tip of the iceberg, just being able to like, not even talk about like something and be comfortable liking something that is important to you. And that itself being a struggle, like even if it's just internal growing up, uh, can really shape who you are as a person if you never find that level of comfort uh, within yourself. And even the image of, a, of someone who has, they don't look just like you, but they feel like you, is so important. And getting that down to the T, maybe not to the T, get it to the I, right? Maybe you don't get the cross just right. It looks like an X. Maybe it looks like a J. I don't know. You have bad handwriting. I think that matters so much more than us worrying about what 
may be considered positive. Because the positive representation comes from us. Right? There have been so many times when I have been flat out asked, Hey, you're goth, right? You worship Satan? No. And you know what that does? Seven out of ten times, it opens up the conversation. And I get to tell somebody about what that means and who I am. Telling somebody that I grew up in Chicago. I know where Cabrini Reading Projects are. Oh, crap, there is so much better. So there is, like, nothing good there at all, huh? Not true. One of the best donuts I've ever had in life in the world. Right over there. It's freaking delicious. One of my favorite all-time sandwiches, the Big Fat Daddy McNasty. Had there. Freaking delicious. So, I think it's okay to let these characters be characters. I think we need to see more authenticity in the genre. And I think it's there. I do. But I think when you see it... Let that be what it is. Be comfortable enough to be who you are. Find that level of comfort to like what you like and be who you are. Because it's not a mirror, right? It's a reflection. There's a difference. Your image can be reflected in a, in a, in a puddle of muddy water. It's not going to look just like you. It's going to be a darker version. It's going to have ripples and it's not going to catch every feature. But it's still a reflection. You can still identify with that reflection. And it's still good to see if you take it as it is. Maybe not how it's being represented, but as it is. And you know what? You can be the clear version of it. I think sometimes our expectation with that is that we don't find that comfort. So we want everything about what's being shown to be perfect and we ourselves are not perfect yet but we want that to be there because we want when people meet us that they have this perfect version of who we could be in their heads and that's dangerous because everybody's identity of what perfect is is different and you could fall short of that and that honestly could really mess you up and i think it's more important for you to be comfortable with representing who you are authentically because Nine times out of ten, that's better than whatever people have in their heads when they come to you. So, that's it. That's the episode. Go watch Escape from New York. Uh, it's great. Uh, you may not like, I don't know too many people who have, okay? But, like, you know, John Carpenter's not for everybody. I'm not for everybody. Neither are you. But your tribe is out there. And whether you meet them or not, you're home. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening in. I appreciate all of you. Like I said, you're free to support the podcast. Uh, it's be super neat. Uh, it's as low as 99 cents a month. You won't notice it's gone, but I'll definitely notice that it's there. Uh, I appreciate you. You're all the reason I keep doing this. And uh, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Humanizing Horror. And uh, everything you do, I believe in you. And just go out there and be good people. All right. See you guys next week.